0: Being as though it is uh, Christmas coming up here Saturday, and uh, this will be our last service together before our celebration of Christmas, I wanted to pick a psalm out tonight that would um, help us to maybe have a better light of what it is that we're celebrating. You remember when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus that um, He... um, was walking with some of his disciples, and they were losing hope, and they said, "Oh, we were hoping that he was going to be the one that would save us, and he, we were just hoping that he was the Messiah, but he's dead." And then Jesus opens their eyes, and he allows them to see him for who he is, and he opens the scriptures to him. It says, and and he shows them how he he literally takes them back, so that now in light of the resurrection they're able to look back at all the Scriptures of the Old Testament and see how He was the the center of them all and how He has fulfilled it all. And so I'd like to look at some of that tonight in Psalm chapter 110. The first thing we'll do is read through it and then I'm just going to make a few observations that um, um, instead of just trying to get you to draw it out, I'm just going to pick out some things that I see and then you can kind of... um, respond to anything that, that I draw out. But in Psalm chapter 110, verse 1, it says... Well, notice first off the uh, superscription at the top. It says, sit at my right hand. And this is a psalm of David. All right? So that's important. Who was David? King of Israel, right? As far as people in ranking, is there anybody human being that is greater than him no and so when he says these things you have to understand that David is not is definitely not talking about himself as he as he writes this psalm so in verse 1 it says this the lord and notice that it's all caps right so yahweh is what what that would be says to my lord which is not all caps which would be the word adonai And that word simply means the master, the ruler, or the king. So David is saying that Yahweh, the self existing one, the great I am, Yahweh says to my master, my ruler, and my king, and here's what he says sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. All right, let's keep reading. The Lord is at your right hand. Now again, I want you to notice that each one of these verses, it says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Notice the first verse, the Lord says. The second verse, what does He do? The Lord sins. The fourth verse, what does He do? The Lord has sworn. And all of those lords are all caps. So these are Yahweh, okay? This is what Yahweh has done. But notice in verse 5, do you see any kind of change here? Hmm? Okay. That's right. Lowercase. We've changed from Yahweh to, so Yahweh has said something. Yahweh has sent something. Yahweh has sworn something. And now in verse 5, Adonai, or the mighty ruler, the master, the king, is somewhere. And he is at your right hand. And notice what it says next in verse 5. He what? He will. What is that? What is that? What tense is that? Future. So he is at your right hand, and he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. And then, verse 6, we move into some more he wills. So again, we're talking about Adonai here, right? Adonai will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. Adonai will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Adonai will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And so, we're going to pick this apart tonight, but I wanted you to at least see here first and foremost that this psalm is about two people. First off, it's about Yahweh and what Yahweh has said, what Yahweh has sent, and what Yahweh has sworn. The second part is about the master, the ruler, the king, David's king specifically. And if David is the king of of Israel, who is greater than David? Who could possibly be his king? He's looking forward to the Messiah, correct? He's looking forward to the coming king, to the seed of David, the one who will reign on his throne forever and ever and ever. And so in verse 5 we see that This Messiah is somewhere and He will do something and He will do this and this and this. And so I want to be able to first off just simply say to you that it is no question that this psalm is what we call a messianic psalm. Now what do I mean by that? It's a psalm that was written from the get-go completely about the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All right, Now... Here was my question when I studied this. When the Jews read this before Christ, did they know that this was a messianic song? I wouldn't have thought so either. That was my first thought too. I found Scripture to prove otherwise. Because here's the way, it's easy for us today to take in light of Jesus and what we know about Him and what He has done, it's easy for us to be able to look back and go, there He is. Right? We can see Him in the Scriptures as we study. But the Jews were looking forward. They didn't have all this information. And so I asked the question, did they know that this was a Messianic sound? And the reason I think that's important is because we want to answer the question, is Jesus really the Messiah? When we celebrate Christmas, do do we really understand what we're celebrating? And is it actually true? Or are we just looking at something that's been taught to us and now we're able to apply it to Old Testament? Y'all see what I'm saying? And so it was important for me to be able to see, did the Jews understand that this and other psalms like it were specifically messianic in their purpose? And so just a few Scriptures. Look with me and hold your place here. Matthew 22 verse 44. Now Jesus is trying... To um, are not he's not trying something. The Pharisees are trying to put Jesus in a trap here. Whenever we, whenever I read this verse to you, and they've been asking him questions about what the greatest commandment is. Y'all, everybody in here pretty well remembers that story, right? And so they've been trying to trap him in this. Um, um, yeah, they've been trying to trap him. Okay, and so in verse uh, forty-one in Matthew twenty-two, let's start right there. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. He turns it around on them. In verse 42, here's what He asks them. What do you think about the Christ? So He wants to know what they think and what they understand about the Christ, right? And specifically, He wants to know what? Y'all tell me. Whose son is He? Whose son is the Christ? When the Christ comes, whose son is He going to be? And they said to Him, the son of David. So here's what the Jews knew. The Jews knew that the Messiah was going to be the son of David. He's going to come from His lineage. Verse 43, He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit, talking about Psalm 110, How David in the Spirit calls him Lord. Verse 44, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. You know why? Because they knew. That this is a messianic psalm that he's quoting here. And he's absolutely right. Jesus did call the Christ His Lord. And so if the Messiah is the Son of David, how is it possible for the Messiah to be the Son of David and yet the Lord of David too? And we know the answer to that. Today they didn't, but we know it. And it is because Jesus is indeed the Son of David in fleshly lineage And He is also the Son of... And so being both the Son of David, He can be from that lineage, and both the Son of God, He can also and is the Adonai, the the Master, the Ruler, David's Lord. And so when David mentions this, the Jews know that he's talking about the Messiah here. Let me show you one more Scripture. Matthew 26 verse um sixty three <clears throat> matthew twenty six verse sixty three but Jesus remains silent now this is jesus' trial, okay? And they're trying to get Jesus to um, to basically confess that he is claiming to be God, so that they can put him to death. But Jesus won't say a word. He just keeps his mouth shut. And so Jesus remains silent. And the high priest said to them, "said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God." Jesus said to him, "You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see." the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is his judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face. You know why they did that? Because Jesus quoted Psalm 110 when they asked Him, if you're the Christ, why don't you tell us plainly? And Jesus said, you said it, not me. But I will tell you this, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. And He's going to come with the clouds. And He's going to destroy all this evil. And so when the priest heard this, he knew that when Jesus quoted Psalm 110, Guess what Jesus was just saying? I am the Christ. I am David's Lord. I am the one that the Lord Yahweh has said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And so the Jews understood that Psalm Psalm 110 was absolutely about the Messiah and no one else. Because when Jesus quoted that, they said, He just claimed to be the one. And yes, He did. Now go back with me to Psalm chapter 110. So the Jews knew this was a Messianic Psalm. And so I want you to notice, if I was outlining this, I would outline this, Yahweh says, Yahweh sins, Yahweh swears. And then I would, I would write out beside of there, these are the things that Yahweh does. And then I would go further down in verse 5 and I would say, Adonai, or the Messiah, if you want to put it like that. The Messiah is here and the Messiah will do these things. And so in that outline, let's take a look at what we understand about the Messiah. So the first thing is that in verse 1, Yahweh, the great I Am... Are you all tracking with me when I'm doing the difference between Yahweh and Adonai? You see the difference. We're basically talking, let me put it like this. God the Father says to... God the Son. So here's what David says. David heard a conversation took place and he starts writing. He says, I heard Yahweh say to my Lord, my Master, and this is what I heard Him say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So one of the first things we understand about this Messiah is that His enemies, all of them, are going to become His footstool, alright? This is the whole point of Jesus coming. This is the whole point of Christmas is that He is coming for a specific purpose until the day that all of His enemies are made His footstool, alright? So this is what the Lord says. Now the next question, and again, I just observed this as I was going down through this, the next question we have to ask ourselves is why? Why did the Lord say this? Why did He say to God the Son, sit at My right hand until I do this? And here's why He says it. Here's the answer in verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. Here's why He said it. Because the Lord sends forth from Zion. He has to sit at His right hand because when the Lord sent forth from Zion... Does anybody know what Zion was? What was Zion? Zion was another name for Jerusalem, right? For the city of God. Zion was the, the name of the city before David conquered it, all right? When David conquered it, it became Jerusalem, it became the place of God. And so what we have here is that the Lord sends forth from Zion. And ultimately, you remember what Jesus did in Jerusalem just outside the gates of the city? He died on the cross, right? And when He died on the cross, do you know what He did? you know what happened? He conquered His enemies. Now, He didn't make them all His footstool yet, but He conquered them. He disarmed them. Let me say this. He didn't necessarily conquer them yet, He disarmed them is what Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says. He took their weapon away from them. And so the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter and that word scepter can also be translated as branch or a staff. Uh, When Moses took the staff, that would have been a scepter. And so the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty branch, your mighty staff, or your mighty mighty object of ruler. And here's what He says after He sends Him forth from Zion. He says, rule. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to rule in the midst of your enemies. And then in verse 3 He says, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. So here's what you see in this. Jesus, or the Messiah, is going to be a ruler. So the Lord has said, sit at My right hand until the day you become the ruler. The reason why I'm telling you to sit is because I'm going to send you as a ruler. I'm going to send you forth from Zion to disarm all of them. You are going to rule in the midst of your enemies. And then not only that, but you're going to rule over your own people. So here is what we understand from Philippians chapter 2. Jesus said, or God said, every knee shall what? And every tongue shall that Jesus is. And so ultimately what we see in this is that Jesus rules over his enemies. Jesus rules over his people. <coughs> Excuse me. The difference is this. His enemies, he ruled in the midst of them as he was disarming them on the cross. But what is what do we see about the difference in the way he rules his people in verse 3? How does Jesus rule his people in verse 3? Freely. What does it mean whenever it says here your people will offer themselves freely? What does that mean? Did anybody force you to follow Jesus? You heard the gospel. And you believed the gospel, did you not? God opened your eyes to it. God gave you a heart for it, but you offered yourself freely to Him. And this is what we see in this right here is that the Lord has sent a ruler and He is going to rule over His enemies and He is going to rule over His people. His enemies, He's going to rule by conquering them. His people, He's going to rule because they offered themselves freely and they gladly Serve Him and follow Him. But specifically, this is actually talking about verse 3. Your people will offer themselves when? On the day of your power. The day when the enemies become His footstool. The day when He comes to rule over His enemies and to conquer. And we see that take place. If you'll hold your place here and go to Revelation chapter 19 because this is what we're waiting on. Revelation chapter 19 beginning in verse 11. And we'll go through uh, verse 16. Notice what it says here. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and He makes war. It's important remember this when you get to the end of Psalm 110. He judges and He makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems or many crowns. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which He is called is the Word, the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure... We're following Him on white horses. You know who that is? That's us. And you know, they don't do it because they have to. They follow Him because they want to. They offer themselves freely on the day of His power. And then verse 15, from His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Remember that at the end of Psalm 110. And He will rule them with a rod of iron. Now, we follow Him on white horses in fine linen. Right? He rules them with a rod. And then... He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of what? And Lord of lords. This is the King's Lord. Alright? Now go back with me to Psalm 110. Let's read that again. Verse 2, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In what? Holy garments, fine linen. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. And then in verse 4, we move to the last thing that Yahweh does. So the first thing Yahweh done was He said something to Jesus. He said, sit here until I make your enemies a footstool. The next thing Yahweh does is He sends forth And He says, now go and rule. And you do it first out of Zion on the cross. And then your people are going to offer themselves freely on your day of power in their holy garments. And then in verse 4, the last thing Yahweh does is He what? He swore something. Now listen, when we swear, most of the time we're liars is what we are. God ain't. When God takes an oath and He swears, what is it? it, Will He break it? He can't break it. And so, the last thing, because Yahweh has said this and because Yahweh has sent His Son, now the Lord has sworn something and He will not change His mind. This is important. And here's what He has sworn You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now a very quick explanation on that. Go to Hebrew chapter 7 because it explains it for me. I don't have to even explain it. I'll read it out for you and you'll see it firsthand. Hebrews chapter 7 beginning in verse 1 through verse 3. This is what the Lord has sworn that Jesus is going to be. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now this is back in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, if you want to read it. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, talking about Melchizedek, he is first by translation of his name, what? King of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem. That is king of peace. So you can find all this in Genesis. But the point being is that Melchizedek is two things. First off, he's a king, right? He's a king of righteousness and he's a king of peace. You know what the Hebrew word for peace is? Shalom. Shalom. That's their, their greeting that they, that they say to one another when they see each other or maybe when they're leaving. They say, shalom. It means peace. That's what this word is translated is where we read Salem. He is the king of shalom, the king of peace. And then notice what it says in verse 3. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest for how long? Forever. Here's all you need to understand about what the Lord has sworn. The Lord has sworn that because He has sent Jesus to do what He has done and because He has people that follow Him freely and He rules over His enemies and He's given holy garments to His people that follow Him, because He has done that, now God says, I swear, I swear, you are a priest forever. According to the order of Michalzadik. Now what did a priest do? What was the job of a priest? Why though? Why did he do that? Because he was the one that stood between what? He was the go-between. Why couldn't the people just go to God on their own? Huh? They were sinners, Right. And if they tried to stand before God in their sin, what would happen? But the priest God ordained to stand on their behalf and make right with God according to their sin, right? So he offered sacrifices. He came before God. He sprinkled the blood and that was his work. His work was always appealing to God on behalf of sinful people. Well, guess what this means for you and me? If Jesus is at the right hand of the Father... And if God has sworn that Jesus is now a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, then that means for you and I that because of what Yahweh has said, because of what Yahweh has sent, and because of what Yahweh has swore, you and I forever have someone at the right hand of the Father that is constantly appealing to God on your and my behalf. Now, if you don't sin anymore, then that don't mean anything to you. But if you still struggle with your sin, then guess what? This is a whole other reason to celebrate Christmas. Because the Lord said, because the Lord sent, and because the Lord has swore. And finally, we get into what (coughs) Adonai is doing, where he is at. because He's already been sent, right? The Lord has already sworn. And He's already sitting at the right hand, waiting until the day that God makes His enemies His footstool, right? But notice what we're waiting on. So in verse 5, Adonai, the Messiah, is where? He is at your right hand. And... He will. What does it mean when it says He will? (laughs) No matter how, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, it don't matter what anybody does in this world, no matter what happens, this is going to take place. He will shatter kings. Why kings? Well, go with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Starting in verse 2. <clears throat> the kings of the earth set themselves. What does it mean to set yourself? When you set yourself, what are you doing? You're locked in, right? They set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The rulers of this world, and maybe not every one of them, but the majority of them, they do not want the Lord's ways. And they're not... Counseling and leading according to the Lord's ways for the most part. Now go down with me to verse um, 9 or verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, and kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. This is the reason why He says He will shatter kings on that day because He's going to shatter the nations. And anybody that is not with Him is going to be shattered. And then in verse 6, He's not just going to shatter kings, but He's also going to do what? He is going to execute judgment. We are all going to be judged. The good news is because we're with Him and we offer ourselves freely to Him, our judgment has already taken place on the cross of Calvary. The bad news is for those among the nations who are not with Him, What does it say next? He's going to do with the nations? In verse 6, fill them with corpses. What does it mean when he says fill them with corpses? What does it mean to fill something with corpses? (laughs) Nothing but death. That's all it is. And then it says again, He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. And then finally, the last thing He's going to do after He has after he has shattered kings, after He has executed judgment and filled the nations with corpse, and He shatters chiefs over all the whole wide earth, the last thing He does, He will drink from the brook by the way. And therefore, He will lift up His head. And what you see in there is a picture of victory and glory as opposed to shame and defeat. For instance, if you were to go to 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30, you don't have to go there, but it's when David has been defeated by his son Absalom at the, at the moment. And the Bible tells us in that verse that he's walking up a hill and he has a covering over his head. Not because he's hiding, but he has a covering over his head and his head is down and everybody that follows him has the same covering over their head and all the people are walking with their head down. And why are they walking with their head down? Shame and defeat. But there are many other Scriptures in the Psalms and throughout that talk about when your head is lifted, it is a picture of victory and it is a picture of glory. And so what we see here is that Jesus does it all and when He comes to make war, all of His enemies are going to be made His footstool. And when this takes place, the last thing he does is he drinks from the brook by the way, which is a picture of refreshment. And then he lifts his head because it is a picture of his victory and his glory. And so what do we do with this? Here's, here's the question I come to after every, after every Psalm that I study. What, what do I do with it? Well, here's what the conclusion I came to. First off, the Lord has already sent The Lord has already sworn and He will not change His mind. And He has set the Messiah, the Son of God, at the right hand of His power waiting until the time when He shatters kings, He judges the nations, and He is victorious. And then finally, all of His enemies have been made His footstool. Now what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? You tell me. And then I'll tell you. What does this have to do with Christmas? What? That's right. She said Christmas is when it all starts. That was the Lord sending. That's exactly right. What were you going to say? establishment of salvation and the freedom that we got through believing it. Absolutely, that we are offering ourselves freely and and we're not going to be judged and our corpses ain't going to be left in the... uh, We're not going to be ruled with a rod of iron and we're not going to be shattered like the kings and the chiefs. All of those things that we see in this. We're not going to be enemies that are made His footstool. But the other thing that this has to do with Christmas is what I said Sunday morning. There's still all kind of evil in this world there's still all kind of darkness. And I know I'm sure the King family has felt this way and many of you, um, our family has felt this way because it'd be the first Christmas without Paul, um, without Eddie. Um, it's it's uh, many families, Randy Lee, first Christmas without Wendy. And, and so it's, it's so much darkness and there's so much gloom, it seems like, that it almost overcomes the light in our minds if we're not careful. And what we need to remember is that our Lord has already conquered. He came and He has already ruled and we are following Him. And now we're just waiting. Waiting until when? His enemies are made His footstool. Until all of this darkness is shattered and it is no more. And so I close with Revelation chapter 22, I believe it is, because this is what... This is what Christmas is all about. This is what we're waiting on. Is it 22? Hang on one second. Maybe 21. Yeah. 21. Beginning in verse 1. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, He said, write this down for these words are are trustworthy and true. And He said to me, it is done. Here's the point of Christmas. This world is full of darkness. In this world right now, you cannot stop tears. You cannot stop pain. You cannot stop um, death. You can't stop it. If God heals you a thousand times, Mary, how many times He healed you so far? That's right. You can't stop it. It's coming. The good news is this. One day, when His enemies are made His footstool and when He reigns over everything, He makes all things new. And none of that will be any more. And so on Christmas, we're always thinking, or in the holidays, we're always thinking that we're supposed to just have this um, overwhelming joy. And yes, because of that, you are. However, God has not wiped away every tear yet, has He? Death is not done away with yet, is it? There is still mourning. There is still sorrow. There is still sadness. And so what do we do with that for Christmas? Well, we cry because of the pain. But we shout for joy because of what we know and what we believe. The Lord has said. The Lord has sent. The Lord has swore. And He will make all darkness His footstool. And we will rejoice forevermore with Him. So if Christmas is hard for you this year, sit down and cry. Sit down and cry. And then in the middle of your tears, you look at somebody and say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. One day this will be over. One day this will be no more.